You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. When they found out that I wasn't an ex-junkie or a current junkie or a future junkie or that I was a hard-drinking, two-fisted, you know, they decided not to do a piece on me. Singer-songwriter Mel Torme. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Buell Thompson. Does this song help put you in the Christmas spirit? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Well, that song was written by Mel Torme. Born and raised in Chicago, Mel Torme first sang publicly at age four. He wrote his first song when he was 13 and shortly after became an actor on radio. From the 1940s through the 1990s, Mel Torme was among America's favorite and most popular singers, songwriters, and arrangers. Along the way, somebody dubbed him the Velvet Fog, and the name stuck. In fact, in 1988, when he wrote his autobiography, he called it, It Wasn't All Velvet. And that's when I met him. So here now from 1988, the great Mel Torme. More than one person has told me you never really liked that nickname, the Velvet Fog. I never did, even when it was an apt nickname. And in the early days of my singing in the in the mid and later 40s, uh, yeah, I guess it did fit me to some degree, but uh, I just don't sing like that anymore. I don't sound like that anymore. And uh, so the Velvet Fog now is totally an incorrect kind of appellation, you know, nickname, whatever you want to call it. But your license plates read, uh, and, and, and you, you told in the book, but I can't remember how you said you spell them, but they're both variations on that. Yeah, just as a gag, purely <laughs> as a gag. <laughs> To show that I mean no harm. <laughs> if, you could have picked, if you could have picked your own nickname, it would have been what? Well, I wouldn't have picked a nickname. That's the whole point. I'm, I'm really kind of an anti-label guy. I don't like labels. And I think that uh, the people who regard me purely as Mel Torme, musician, arranger, singer, that's fine. That's, that's plenty label for me. Why did you choose to write an autobiography? Well, for about three separate reasons. Well, as a matter of fact, four. I had written a novel, which was my third book, called Winner. And a lot of people bought it thinking it was my autobiography because there was a picture of a microphone on the front of the, of the book. Uh, they seemed to like Winner, but they complained that they, was, they were hoping they were going to read the story of my life. That's number one. Number two, I felt that a time had come to maybe tell the framework of where I stood then, where I stand now, some of my feelings, some of my still unrealized ambitions, etc. My likes, dislikes, etc. Okay. Number three, uh, a lot of people had said to me, you know, Mel, the David Niven books were great, and mainly because they were anecdotal and because he knew so many people. Now, here you are, having interacted on a personal and or professional level with the likes of Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland, Harry James, Buddy Rich, Duke Ellington, Artie Shaw, Benny Goodman, Marilyn Monroe, Ava Gardner, and that's just a few. Now, that's not name-dropping. Those are people that I literally was involved with 
and still am to some degree, uh, certainly Harry Anderson, Rich Little, who's one of my dearest friends. And it seemed to me that I could also make this into a book that would be uh, – I don't want to use the word juicy because it's not a juicy book. This is not a kiss-and-tell book in any way, shape, or form where the ladies of my life are concerned. Not at all. But that it would be titillating to an audience to hear some anecdotes about – the people that I've mentioned. And there are anecdotes about every single one of those people in my book, uh, anecdotes they've never heard before that are totally fresh. So there was that. And finally, Bill, I, I did feel that I might be able to impart to the general audience, not the people who've you know followed me and supported me all the years. They're going to buy this book anyway. But the people who might not ordinarily buy a book of this kind – uh, two or, as a matter of fact, I think three now people have said, in effect, that this book is something of a primer for the uninitiated. The person who doesn't realize what the stresses of being on the road are, the person who thinks perhaps that the kind of life that I lead is total glamour and fun and games, and it's not. Well, that's all we see, though. Well, that's really all you're supposed to see on, on a surface basis. I mean, you're supposed to see me from the time somebody says, and ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Mel Torme, until the time I walk off the stage. But the personal life is very difficult. It's uh, My personal life has caused the tragedy of three divorces, and I say tragedy in the purest sense of the word because of the children involved. Um, it's uh, It's fashioned a certain kind of, it's made me a certain kind of human being, some of which I like, some of which I don't like about myself. And it's all there in the book. As a matter of fact, Charlton Heston read this book, and he's a friend, and he said, Mel, the most interesting part of this book is that you're tougher on yourself than on anybody else in the book. I th think that's true. I think it is. You know, when you see a celebrity autobiography today, though, more often than not, they tell about their career, and then they also mention, oh, by the way, I'm also an alcoholic, but I'm recovered now. Or my parents were alcoholics, but I'm all better now be despite them. Or I was hooked on drugs, or I was a teenage delinquent. People are going to be disappointed that you're not an alcoholic, you're not a drug addict, you weren't a teenage delinquent. As a matter of fact, I hope people will be uplifted by that. Because <clears throat> what you're talking about, Bill, has become a cliché. Uh, I relate in my book, and I think that if... Anybody wanted to buy my book just for this particular incident, I think they would just be knocked out. And I'll, I'll tell it briefly, but I tell it in detail in the book. 60 Minutes wanted to do a piece on me, and they had a luncheon with me. And when they found out, and it's graphically illustrated in the book. By that I mean I, I really, I really uh, describe what happened. When they found out that I wasn't an ex-junkie or a current junkie or a future junkie uh, or that I was a hard drinking, two-fisted, you know. Uh, they decided not to do a piece on me. The point is that 2020 did. And when 2020 wanted to do a piece on me, I warned them. I told them the complete truth about 60 Minutes and said they only wanted to do me if they could write, do a story that is the standard cliché-type story. Singer hits it big, falls from grace because of his bad habits, gets into the gutter where he's, he's practically a dead man, and then through the sheer will of, you know. Uh, 2020 said, no, we want to do you. We want to talk about your talent and how long you've been in the business, et cetera, et cetera. P.S. They did it. 
And several months later, they called me and said, hold on to your hat. Your segment won the Emmy for Best Documentary Profile. We beat 60 Minutes. We beat everybody. Your segment won. It was a great victory because I think there's too much of a downer aspect in the life of, say, musicians. I'm one of the people who ran around this country, and I'm, I didn't mean to be cruel about it because I had a lot of effort behind it, but I hated Round Midnight. I hated that movie. Uh, I feel that what we really don't need is another movie about a, uh, even an ex-druggy or ex-drunk musician, you know. And uh, so I was, I was pretty vocal about it. I, maybe I shouldn't have been. But that's a cliche, isn't it, about, it, about musicians in general, jazz musicians in, in particular. You must absolutely. be on drugs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I know tons of great musicians who are nowhere near being on drugs or even sleeping pills. Or I mean, I'm one of those dummies that doesn't even take aspirin. Well, if I have a headache, I let it go away. Uh, I... I it's just the way I am. It's the way I was raised. And uh, again, I hope that would be an uplifting aspect of my story as opposed to somebody saying, well, gee, I mean, this guy's uh, never shot anyone and uh, gee, he's, he doesn't beat his wives and doesn't abuse his kids and doesn't drink. I mean, who wants to read that book? A lot of people are reading it. And as a matter of fact, the early reviews on this book, Bill, are this is my fourth book, are the most rewarding, most exciting I've ever had. Honest to God. After this short break, I asked Mel Torme if there were ever any songs he wished he hadn't recorded. Now back to my 1988 interview with Mel Torme. You get a few bad ones. I noticed the Washington Post didn't seem to care for it much the other day. I don't know if you've seen. I haven't seen that. Uh, their review, Jonathan Yardley. He's hard to please, but he didn't. He didn't seem to care much for it. But I don't imagine that you know you've been in the business this many years. I don't imagine it's the first bad review you've gotten on some work you've done. No, no. And I think also that uh, you get a, a standard book. Now it hasn't the the Kirkus Review, the Publishers Weekly Review, the Times. The Los Angeles Times, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and the Chicago Trib have been smashing. So I'm sorry about Jonathan, whatever the hell his name is, you know. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that an awful lot of those people refuse to accept the fact that a singer's got a brain and that he can sit at a typewriter and that he can write a book. Uh, that's unfortunate, but there it is. Actually, I'm not, I, I'm not sure about what maybe the, the Post review went too far the other way. I think they expect you to be far more literate. <laughs> well, I think they were criticizing you for not being a writer. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, that surprises me for this reason. I'm not going to be defensive about it. But the truth of the matter is that the reviews are quite sincerely have talked about the literate aspect of my book. Uh, yesterday... Yesterday, Larry King, for the second time in USA Today, talked about the brilliantly written autobiography of Mel Torme. So, you know, you know it, it really is, uh, I think it's subjective, and I think that uh, I, I think that Jonathan, whatever his name is, have, has every right to feel that way if he wants to. Bad reviews can't, you can't let them bother you, can you? No, absolutely Whether not. Whether it's your music Because or it's one or... person's opinion, as a, and particularly, thank God, I mean, this is the first time I've heard of a bad review on my book. Every review so far on this book has been smashing. So, so be it. Don't let him say what he will. Ethel Waters, you quote her saying, Mel Torme is the only white man who sings with the soul of a black man. 
I couldn't help thinking when I read that what what uproar there would be in the NAACP if we said of some black singer, he sings just like a white man. Hmm. I never thought of that. That's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting, Bill. <laughs> but now you also now you grew up in what you called what that in in what in those days in Chicago was the colored neighborhood. The colored neighborhood. Yeah. I'm wondering also what how your your musical life would have been shaped had you been born in the Back Bay of Boston or somewhere in the Upper Vermont or someplace. Well, Artie Shaw, for instance, was a, a Boston product. I think he may have been born in Cleveland, but he spent a lot of time living in Boston, and he's a genius player. So, I, 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 I don't know. I think there's it's an intangible. I think it's what you listen to growing up. Uh, I think there's that strange germ in you called talent, whatever that is, and who can figure out what that's all about, you know. Uh, I think it's a lot of things environmental, of course. And and I you, think must that, be, you must be born with something. I think there, that you have to have a lot of luck and a little talent, yeah. And I think also that being born in, as you say, the colored neighborhood of Chicago and growing up in that neighborhood for the first eight to ten years of my life was very, very important to my musical education. And I, I fully acknowledge that. I don't know. You probably heard the other day that Perry Como said that many of the songs that he sang, he just thought were silly songs that he that he just he put up with with them. Are there any songs that you ever sang that you wish you hadn't recorded? Yeah, I I was recording for Columbia and Capitol for a while, and uh, as a matter of fact, did some things for them that I sort of bent backwards. And not, nothing that I was really wildly ashamed of, but that were really sort of out of my genre vocally and as a matter of course uh, I wasn't too thrilled with having done them but you know you go through phases of your life where thank God I mean one of the things that I've never thought about myself is that I'm the be all end all authority on music I'm very willing to listen to other people talk to me and uh, and express their opinions you know and uh, as a matter of consequence I have done some records that uh, I would have rather left undone. <laughs> I'm sure some collector has them right now. He says, ah, but I've got them. I've still got them. <laughs> well, break them or burn them. <laughs> Which songs do you think of when you think of think back on your career and you think this is Mel Torme? This is this is these are the songs that that are you. I think the current output really is what pleases me the most, only because I, I, they tell me that I'm, I'm singing at the zenith of whatever my ability is. Uh, I think that, you know, growth, evolvement, I mean, you can go down the line with words, but I really think that aging, the aging process has had a lot to do with it. So I think that, I mean, I've got a brand new record out on Concord now called uh, Mel Torme with the Marty Page Deck Tet Reunion. And some people are saying right now that it's the best record I've ever made. I'm not sure that it is, but people are saying that. And they're saying it in sort of droves. Jonathan Schwartz, for instance, on WNEW in uh, New York City, is one of the great forces in music and listening in that town. And I mean, he, he did, uh, he did like, a, like an editorial on that record on Sunday, which was very lovely of him. And so we'll see. Mel Torme died in 1999. He was 73. Did you know that you can find all of our past episodes of Now I've Heard Everything at our website, heardeverything.com? You'll find hundreds of interviews there, including my conversation with one of Mel Torme's contemporaries, the great Tony Bennett. Ralph Sharon, my music director for many years, said, Tony, you're going to San Francisco. He says, I think this might be a good song for you. 
and uh, I had no idea that uh, I thought it was going to be maybe a local song, but it ended up being an international hit and uh, became my signature song. It's made me a world citizen. And another music legend from the big band era, Lionel Hampton. Louis said, what's that sitting in the corner? And I explained to him that the, it was the Viber Harp. And so Louis said, can you play it? And I said, yeah. I never played it before <laughs> in my life. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the harrowing story told by an U.S. Army general who in 1981 was kidnapped by rebels in Italy and held hostage for over a month. My 1990 interview with former General James Dozier. As a result of the momentum built up in the wake of my rescue, the Italian government was able to break the back of the Red Brigades and show the world that, by golly, an urban terrorist organization could be successfully dealt with. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. (laughs) 